0: Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a beautiful partnership between Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. JR, good to see your face, man. Great to see you. Good morning. Always good to be with you here. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about hanging out with you is you are, you are a thinking man. You're a, and I love how you are constantly learning and the hunger that you have. And so I also love the fact that you're a question guy. And you mentioned beforehand just some things that you've been thinking through, and I, I feel like it's really good just to share the questions that you feel like churches need to sit with in this season.
1: Yeah, I, sometimes I'm asked by those that I, I lead or just over conversation. In this case, just recently was a coaching call with, with a pastor, and he just said, so what do I need to make sure I have answered? What are some ducks that need to be in a row? And so I gave this framework. These are five vital questions that every church has to answer. And I think it's really great if pastors and your elder team or your staff can really sit down and try to answer these questions. So these are the five. Number one, is your vision compelling? A lot of churches have a vision, but it doesn't always mean it's compelling. Number one. Number two, are your relationships strong? Um, you know, is, is love present? Is there trust? Uh, can we speak the truth in love to each other? Number three, are your systems effective? um a lot of pastors aren't trained like we we didn't go to school for systems or organizational leadership or anything like that and so systems are kind of hard because we want to be with people and pastor people but those systems the trellis work is still really important so are your systems effective and number 4 is your theology solid and i know over the last several years Doug you and i have talked many times about pastors that have just kind of steered off you know into into heresy and into things outside of orthodoxy and so is your theology strong in your church? And then the last one, are your benefits clear? And now benefits is kind of a weird thing because we think of benefits of a membership club or you get, you know, benefits by signing up for this, whatever, or benefits of a job, um, your, your you know, your clear health and benefits package. But in terms of benefits, like why, if people were to be a part of your church, how would they be changed? How mm-hmm. would they be blessed by it? Could be another way to so say what are your blessings clear? Are, are are the the fruit of what you're doing? And so don't be tripped up by the word benefits. But again, the five are, is your vision compelling? Are your relationships strong? Are your systems effective? Is your theology solid? And are your benefits clear? So yeah, Doug, just as you hear some of those questions, uh, we were talking before we pressed record, you know, on some of these things, but is there any question or two that kind of pops out to you? Or um, how, do you, how do you hear these questions?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the first one, just even thinking about... Um... You know, we we were at a, a national gathering together for Ecclesia just a few, you know, recently. And one of the things that I remember Chris Backert um saying was, you know, Orthodoxy wins the day. And yeah. it, it I'll tell you what, that between that statement and even that comment about is is your theology strong, I've noticed in me there has been a deepening back to almost like a calling, a wooing, a deepening back to scripture, a deepening back to reading theological voices that i trust beginning to create more theological friendships of just having conversations around what i'm hearing you know what i hear from scripture what church history has said about some of these things so that one felt really good i think the one with with the most question and i, I and i know that you've developed some really good systems in in your life just in terms of keeping things floating and and understanding how systems work better but just i've been in this journey of how do i create the the helpful systems and processes within my with, within Renew, like within the church structure, because I, I, I feel like w- what I'm learning is I am a systems guy, but I have to define what how we work some of these systems. But I, I'd love to hear just like even 30 seconds, like, dude, if, if you're thinking about systems, like, here's a great author, here's a great book, here's a great resource.
1: Yeah, I, I don't remember the author's name. It's I, I think Payne, P-A-Y-N-E is one of the co-authors, but it's called The Trellis and the Vine. It's been out a long time, but it's a great book of helping churches think through systems. Huh. I think sometimes when we hear structure, especially younger pastors or new or emerging pastors and church leaders, they think like, <laughs> structure's bad, and they go <laughs> so far the other way. We don't need structure. And, and, and I love what a senior pastor told me when I was in my 20s. He said, structure's not bad. Overstructure or understructure is bad. Dang. So he said, an amoeba has a structure, but so does an elephant. But an amoeba shouldn't have the elephant structure, and and an elephant shouldn't have an amoeba structure. And I thought that was really good that we, we, it's not that structure's bad. We need to shoot for appropriate structure. And that's why I love that book, The Trellis and the Vine, because it's basically saying the vine grows, but the only way it grows up a wall is if it has a trellis, some sort of structure to be able to wrap around and support it so that it grows up the wall. And what we're after is the vine, right? John 15, the metaphor there. But we need trellis work to be able to support that. If we have too much trellis work, it actually chokes out the vine and the vine doesn't get a chance to grow. So we've all been in places where there's way too much structure and you're like, ah, this is so claustrophobic. It's sucking the life out of everything. That's even legalism, right? We so overstructure the religious life that we put our faith in the structures, not in the God who is wooing us. And yet we just can't say, well, structures are all bad. You absolutely need structure. You live in a structure. Your house was structurally designed to not only support you safely, but provide comfort and health and warmth and cool. And so anyway, I think that's really important. We think about this idea, are your systems effective? Systems and structures are not evil, they are, but they are to support the mission, not to replace it. And yeah. sometimes that happens in churches, and we have to be very careful.
0: Dude, that's so good. I I think what you said, I I wish I had a pastor tell me that structures weren't evil when I was in my 20s, because (laughs) I think I just realized that they're not evil like six weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Confession time. It's a safe place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, As you keep that in mind, pastors, I want you to think about those five. And before we jump into this episode, maybe you press pause right now. And I want you to think about the five and write down the question you think is most important for you to wrestle with, or maybe it's the gap. And you say, you know, we really need to press into that. As we go into this interview, think about that question, have that in the forefront of your mind. And I hope that serves you well as you think about leading your church into the future. Rick McKinley serves as lead pastor at Imago Day Community in Portland, Oregon. He and his wife Jeannie and their four kids moved to Portland to plant the church in 1999. You may know his name because Rick is the co-creator of Advent Conspiracy, a global initiative designed to help solve the water crisis by calling Christians back to the real meaning of Christmas in their generosity. He's also the co-creator of Love Portland, a growing citywide initiative designed to engage the church in developing relationships with the community by loving and blessing the city. You're really going to enjoy this conversation with Pastor Rick McKinley.
0: So, JR and I are really excited to have Pastor Rick McKinley with us today. Rick, thanks so much for joining us this morning.
2: Yeah, great to be with you guys.
0: So yeah. you're a church planner. You've co-created initiatives like Advent Conspiracy and Love Portland. Uh, you've written some books. Uh, you are a teacher. You've shaped pastors. Um, tell us about your calling. Like, how did you get into ministry? What, like, what did God do to pull you into this? These multifaceted places of just His kingdom showing forth, coming forth. That's a good
2: question. I wonder that every Monday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I wasn't I wasn't raised in the church at all, so never like never went to church in my life. And um we weren't I wanna say like my family was anti uh religious, just just wasn't part of anything we'd ever done. And then I was I was raised in the Bay Area, moved to Sacramento. This is like late eighties. Um I was Typical party animal jock guy. And then I graduated and went to Chico State. And Chico was the number one party school and playboy that year. And I thought that is a degree that I can go for. Right. So I go to Chico and just kind of go nuts for a year. And then something, something happened when I was up there that. I started having some kind of spiritual awakening. There's a lot of a lot of new age stuff, and you know, I was trying that. I didn't even know what it was. Uh, could not connect to any crystals or whatever they were doing. Dropped out of school, came home. Uh, was still, you know, drinking and just. It was kind of getting dark uh was blacking out a little bit and i woke up one sunday and thought i need to go to church for like some bizarre reason and i went to the church that was closest to my house and it was palm sunday which i had zero idea what that was literally thought they were going to read our palms like literally <laughs> was like oh cool um it's just so stupid. And then, you know, I just went to all these little event things that they did throughout the week. And at the end, you know, Easter, Good Friday, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. And I didn't even know what that meant. You know, I was just like had this experience of, of Christ and, I remember my dad saying, "Like, if you go to church, those people show up at your house." And I was like, "What? Like, what do you know?" And sure enough, like a week and a half later, these two dudes in dudes knock on my door, and I'm like, "Wow, my dad is... My dad knows things." He was not happy about it, and then they made me pray the prayer and uh, the whole thing, but. Yeah. And then I was like at Bible college. I went to Multnomah up here nine months after that. So that was way too soon for Multnomah and for me. But I just, I just had this hunger like to know God and to serve him. I didn't know what it would look like. I was reading in Acts 20 you know, 22 through 24, where he's going back. Uh, he's praying with the Ephesian elders, going back to Jerusalem. And he's like, I don't know what is going to happen. I only know that the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are waiting for me. But my life's worth nothing if I don't finish the race and testify to the gospel of God's grace. And I just was like, yeah, that's what I want to. That's what I feel like I should do. So I went to uh, We. St- you know, got married. I was like, met my wife, like I should get married. Turned out that was like against the rules to get married too quick. And, uh, but we still got married. So, and we're still married, but I realized now once my kids turned like 18, 19, I was like, yeah, that was probably a little sketchy (laughs) for people. Yeah. (laughs) Particularly (laughs) our parents. But, um, yeah, we you know we started the, this thing called Skate Church had started, and I was like on the first staff of that, and just had I tried to do like like typical church for ten years, and I was I think it was me trying to figure out how do you how do I fit into this thing called Christianity, and um you know buy the suit coat and you know, in this Baptist church or this Presbyterian church or whatever it was. And then at about the 10 year mark, and I was doing youth and associate and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm, we're going to get out of ministry and go into business in California with my dad, or we'll plan a church in Portland. And we came to Portland to make sure we shouldn't like, make sure like that door is really closed. And um, I felt like God was inviting us to plant. Um, I was reading John 2, and, you know, he turns 180 gallons of water into wine. I'm like, wow, that's that's a lot of wine. And then he turns over the temple, and I just remember thinking, like, if I was one of the disciples, even though... I wasn't raised in the church i'm not religious but i would i had enough of it in me that i'd probably be embarrassed by how over the top he's being you know like just make a couple bottles or like we don't why are we tearing up the temple like let's mellow out here and just that invitation like would we be this radical to love the people jesus loves and uh, told God that he should probably let my wife know. Um, cause I didn't want to break the news. <laughs> and then on the way home, she was like, yeah, we, we got to do this. So we loaded up the U-Haul and moved to Portland. Like in, how long uh, ago was that? We moved in November of 99. So right before the great, uh, 2000, Remember when everything crashed and we couldn't use our debit cards and the world collapsed? Uh. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Great time to plant a church. Great time.
2: Remember the name of it now? Y two K.
0: Y two K. Yeah.
2: Really wasn't that bad. Um, Yeah. So it just it you know we went there and we gathered a core group and um, just just started running. You know, from there, we had about 50 people after nine months, 10 months.
1: So you, you, there are church planners come and go. Uh, I think of a lot of the people that you've, you used to run with, sort of your early years of ministry, those who are familiar with you. Um, And we've seen this nationally as well. A lot of people, um, whether it's adultery or heresy or burnout or whatever it may be, they're they're not in it anymore, and it's tragic and it breaks our hearts. So let let me just ask you directly, Rick, why are you still in the race? Why are you still in this? How did you last this long?
2: <clears throat> that is the question. Um, yeah, I I, I was talking to Dan Kimball and Chrissy separately. And we kind of look around from those early days and we're like, wow, this is weird. Because it doesn't feel like we've been in it that long. I mean, it does and it doesn't. But to see, like it didn't take our generation very long to spin out, to like split up into liberal and fundamentalist and then to like burn out and fade away. I I think for me, part of it was the gift of of growing up in a non-christian environment like i remember um when acts 29 was getting off the ground and there was so much i don't know desire to be popular and you know this kind of thing and and like nobody in my family would know rick warren if they sat next to him on a plane like at the end of the day, if I had the biggest church in America, I'd still just be the most popular kid in the chess club to my family. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's not, this is not the cool group. I don't know if you know this, but this is not the cool group. And um, so it was just always such an oxymoron to me, like celebrity pastor. And um I think that I think that's part of it like your ego always has that man I hope my books do good or you hope these things happen but at the end of the day um I think that was part of it I think the other part of it is the theology of the kingdom messed me up early on and recognizing that um In order for the kingdom to really break in in a city, every church needs to win. Like, my church could be 50,000 people, but we have 1.9 million people in the greater Portland area. Like, that's not a dent, you know? Um, Where when the kingdom shows up, and if every church is healthy and winning and displaying that kingdom, then the there's a whole new set of matrix in terms of what success is and what health is and in those sorts of things and so the those success markers i guess of you know nickels and noses and growth we made very strategic moves probably around the 4 or 5 year mark to not chase that mm-hmm. and you know, I'm sure it looks stupid from the outside, but to really focus on Portland mm-hmm. with the idea that if we seek the kingdom, we'll end up with the church uh hopefully that is somewhat healthy and looks like looks like Jesus in the kingdom, but you can start with the church and never get the kingdom, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. that's what we're seeing is and that's what the conversation has tended to be about in every conference and every it's like your church and how to get your church this and how to do this with your church. And there's no conversation about the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so you end up just running a church and managing a church and trying to grow a bigger church. Um, I don't, I don't think that's sustainable Mm -hmm. and I'm Mm -hmm. I mean, if you talk to my wife, she would say, "Yeah, this has taken a huge toll on you." You know, so it's not yeah. like it's not like I'm just floating around like, <laughs> "Oh, it's just Jesus and me and this." <laughs> like, I think leadership is costly.
0: that statement great leadership is costly and you know we've we've chatted a bit before just about the toll that leadership and ministry has taken like what are some of the things what are what is the toll that leadership and
2: ministry has taken on you rick you know there's um the ceo model of ministry that i think was handed to me where your life is always in balance and you know, everything is, you know, I, here's, here's how I exercise and here's how I do this. And here's how I pray. And I'm not that guy. Uh, I'm a huge feeler. I, uh, like I'm a pastor. And so I don't know that, like I had to build rhythms into my life that took a long time to figure out. Um, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't, I'm not a CEO, like if you're not going to be a CEO, then how are you going to manage your life where, where you're having to figure out at different stages that you're managing energy, you know, not necessarily time. Now you're managing energy. Um, And so for me, I think the cost has been, you know, I've, we've lost uh, friendships that You jump in and you're like, we're going to do this in community and community isn't the cool, warm and fuzzy thing. It's actually super messy. Community is really challenging when it also comes with uh, pay and benefits and evaluations and job titles and org charts, you know, (laughs) Like, how do you be best friends and a boss and and so you know our relationships are still intact, but I think so you know there's been several seasons where it was like, how do you navigate this? Are we friends in this moment, or am I the am I the boss? Um, mm. I think it's uh, I think it's costed me physically just not knowing how to manage my emotions. So Mm -hmm. struggling with weight, um, I've always struggled with weight. And then I think um, about eight years ago, I got a genetic arthritis disease Mm -hmm. where like my joints are fusing. Mm -hmm. And in that whole like, oh, I'll lose the weight tomorrow. And then all of a sudden you can't move or walk or, and now you're in this like intense moment. And then I think God just, just through the life of a leader uh, bill uh, Robert Clinton has this great book that he wrote in the eighties. And um, maybe you've talked about it called the making of a leader. And he mm-hmm. talks about these life stages of a leader, Um, sort of like you're born into this situation and then you get saved and you get a calling. But those first like twenties to forties is your ministry maturity. You're just figuring out like, what are my gifts? What am I called to do? And, and what am I not called to do? And as that sharpens, um, hopefully you're getting closer to those fruit bearing kind of roles that you're serving in. But then there's a shift where you go into life maturity somewhere in your mid 40s to early 50s and that always is triggered by a crisis um and i hit that at about 42 43 where my uh, i have a adult disabled daughter now um she she is intellectually disabled She, so we've known that since she was about seven, she's on the uh, uh, um, Asperger's spectrum. And around 18, that created just an intense amount of anxiety for her where we we didn't know like if we were gonna be able to like have her with us. It, It was just like hysteria at times and that would be every night going through this and then at the same time i was diagnosed with that that arthritis thing and um and the church went through a pretty significant downturn after 2016 and we were doing some things in diverse in the diversity space and lost a bunch of people and so these three areas hit all at once and mm. i was like I think God's done with me, like literally. Uh, I don't know if I can keep doing this. My body is turned against me. My daughter's in a really bad space. And actually called pastors from around the city to come and just so I could ask them if I've sinned against them, you know, like maybe I've done something like horrible that I just need to confess. And and they they said no and prayed for me and believed you know believed in me like I don't think you're done and I don't think God's punishing you, but it was that timeline. It was like reading that book, and you know he looked at biblical characters. Then he's tested it throughout history and modern you know modern leaders to recognize God's actually moving me into this different space and Mm. and so i would say you know another key piece of why maybe i'm still in it or didn't chase some of those other things is my daughter you know Mm. um like i could care less if my church was the greatest church in the country like if if my daughter could be okay you know Mm. Like Mm. in terms of priorities of like my career versus like if your, your daughter's not hurting. Um, and I, and I would say that was significant in this transition the last like eight years.
1: Mm. Mm. Wow. Thanks for your courageous vulnerability on that. Mm. And you don't know this Rick, but for years, when we were planting our church, uh, well, 15 years ago, um, the Imago Day podcasts were a really important part. You you pastored me through the podcast airwaves and I'm so grateful. And one of the things, I still remember a story you told about the kingdom, you know, is it here? Is it there? How do we know it's here and there and about going on vacation and your kids from the backseat yelled, uh, are we there yet? And you're like, yes, yes, we're here. Look around. This is it. And just that idea has always stuck with me, that story that the kingdom is here. And I am so grateful because you were the one that planted those, kingdom first, even though Jesus, it's clearly there in the gospels, but you were the first person that I had seen in a local church that was like living this kingdom first above church first idea. And I hadn't seen it. And, uh, even in the hardship, I want to make sure you're, you're hearing the encouragement of how you've planted seeds without even knowing until today when we've talked how you've impacted Doug and I in, uh, even in how we pastor and how we think about the kingdom in a local church context. But, uh, I'm curious, too, for you as a leader, how do you make sure, as they say, you're smoking what you're selling, uh, that the outside Rick and the inside Rick, that there's congruence there?
2: How do yeah. you ensure that it continues? First of all, thanks. That's crazy to think that, yeah, I'm humbled that you were listening to the podcast and that that message would have would have uh, resonated with you. I think It's encouraging because um, mm-hmm. hopefully cool. it saves you some heartache, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the internal, external, you know, a- am I selling what I'm smoking? How would I say this? I, you know, for me, it looks like I have other people helping me navigate that internal space with me. Mm-hmm. So uh a spiritual director that I've walked with for fifteen years, uh, who recently passed away a couple of mm-hmm. years ago, um, I've been in counseling, mm-hmm. like there's just these spaces that I think pastors particularly um mm-hmm. it would be great to say we should be able to do this with peers, but very few people can mm-hmm can carry you know that the kind of stuff that you might want to share like and there's very few spaces where you aren't going to be pastor where you can just show up as rick or you know whoever and 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 i think that has helped me uh be vulnerable enough and to share honestly enough from the pulpit But to know that when I'm sharing those things from the pulpit, I'm not working it out from the pulpit, Mm. you know, Mm. Um, like I don't have to self-disclose everything to the community like they that's not I don't think that's authentic leadership. I think that's unwise, Mm -hmm. but I there are places that I can self-disclose to help them self-disclose. Right. and. And I think there are places that are just for us, and it's okay mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean we're hypocrites that we're not saying all these things that we're feeling or thinking. I think it just means that we're not in isolation, we're mm-hmm. not letting those places breed you know sin and other stuff like we're so the way that I'm smoking what I'm selling is that I'm. I'm allowing other people into those places in my life. Um, even if they are dark and, you know, places that, that you can feel like you're a hypocrite sometimes, you know, like, man, I, I don't want to preach today cause I'm, I'm really depressed and, you know, and I'm not great at faking it. Too. so i'm pr- I've never been the guy that's been like, "Hey, everybody, hallelujah you know <laughs> welcome <laughs> to church um, but but yeah, I'm not trying to get my stuff uh, all over everybody like I think my job is also to get out of the way um and 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 so that growing in discernment as a leader of of you know where where i need to work that out what i can share that's helpful you know what parts of me do i need to just yeah i don't need to bring this to the church today i don't think Mm -hmm. it's hypocrisy if you're doing it in a pastoral way Mm -hmm. you know it's hypocrisy if i'm living this double life but if i'm doing it as a shepherd to go how do I, i i'm wanting to help these people encounter God not Rick you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and yeah i think that's probably how i do it
0: mm-hmm. yeah I, rick i think there's something really important about that i know you know spiritual directors counselors i'm i'm encouraged by the amount of pastors that we've had on this podcast and ones that we interact with that are that are echoing the same thing of the importance of counselors and spiritual directors and and pastor friends in different parts of the city or different parts of the country where you can sort of um, be naked and unashamed and, and begin to mm-hmm. experience the healing of, of healthy relationships. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're coming to a close uh, in terms of our time-wise, but I really wanted to ask the question, you know, as, as we look at all the craziness that's been happening and I know Portland's been just a really hard city in the midst of the the pandemic and the racial tension and just everything that's happening. What's something that's encouraging you right now um, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. Before I get to the encouragement, I do want to, I guess, encourage pastors. Like it is going, I think it's going to be a challenging next four to six years. Mm. And I would hate for people to bail you know because of that (laughs) i think in the midst of that challenge where you have this polarization between what has now become kind of this you know godless uh babylon right (laughs) that is that is just like let's just synchronize everything to the world and And it's cool. But then on the other side, you have almost like a satanic Christendom Mm, uh. that has so wedded itself with power and political policy and all that kind of stuff. But the effects of it on our country are just so evident, right? There's so much polarization. There's like Portland itself is, is, pretty much a mess that i think this is a moment for the the church to be the church in a a really profound way like that's gonna mean i think pastors having to grow some pretty thick skin uh to confront the idolatry of both you know culture and politics like the right and the left but but if we can call people back to the gospel and to the, that that picture of the kingdom when this the country is in such a you know place of heartbreak and people i mean the average person uh in the midst of this pandemic are just tired and worn out and you know anxious and all those things like this is a moment for the church to be at the table putting the world back together mm-hmm. and i think tr and i think as pastors we get to lead that vision like jesus has given us a vision for what human flourishing can look like and and this isn't it and and so rather than picking a side of two broken systems what would it look like for us to band together and start preaching some actual good news you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, we've been we've started this new trend in this season. This is our seventh season. And so this is the this is the biblical season for us, which will last forever in the seventh year. Um, and I'm sure our listeners are gonna get so sick of me saying this, but um one of the things that we started is we just asked our guests to benedict um pastors going into Monday. And so would you leave us with a benediction,
2: Rick? Yeah, that'd be great. It'd be privileged too. So brothers and sisters, may today you find yourself as sons and daughters of your beloved King. May you rest in the fact that this is his work, his church, and his world, and you have been called simply to participate in his purposes. May you be able to leave all that has been done this last week at his feet and hope in the week to come that he will do abundantly more than we could ask or think. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Amen.